Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. You know, today across the world marks the beginning of Passion Week, that final week of Jesus' life. In many churches around the world today, people will march into the services waving palm branches to remind them and to remember Palm Sunday. Many churches then will take those palm branches and they'll dry them, and later on they will have those palm branches be burned, and they will use those ashes from the palm branches to anoint their heads next year on Ash Wednesday. This is a day that signifies the entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem for that final week of his life. You guys remember the story. I want to read it to you from Matthew chapter 21 very quickly. Matthew records it this way. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered the city, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is a week in Jesus' life that is like no other. Obviously, because of what happens at the end of the week and the beginning of the next week when Jesus goes to the cross and lays down his life for all of us and then raises again three days later. But this is one week in Jesus' life that we get to see what Jesus did almost every day of the week. Throughout the pages of the Gospels, we have little hints and moments of Jesus's ministry over three years. But in Matthew chapter 21 to the end in chapter 26, we get to read a day-by-day account of what Jesus did in that Passion Week. Last week, I heard a definition of the word passion. You know, when we think of passion, we often think of love and those kind of things. But when we think of Jesus' Passion Week, it means something very different than that. Well, maybe not as much. Because Jesus had great love for each and every one of us. But this word passion comes from a Latin word that literally means enduring suffering. So as Jesus entered that city some 2,000 years ago, I had to think to myself, Could he have sung this song if it had been written, It is well with my soul? 
Because Jesus had to be thinking that these very same people that are waving the palm branches and shouting Hosanna and praising his name and proclaiming that he is the Messiah are the exact same people that in just a few days are going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And I have to think that as Jesus was entering into that city, he had a lot of different things going into his mind. He began to think about that enduring suffering that he was going to take place in his life for you and I. Jesus enters the city on Sunday, and we know from the different gospel accounts that Jesus would enter the city during the day and then go out into the area outside of the city, and he would spend time with his disciples in the evening and nighttime. On Monday, again, he came into the city of Jerusalem, and he saw the city of Jerusalem preparing for the um, feast that was coming later in the week. And he walked by the temple, and he saw what was taking place in the temple. We have seen this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we see it again at the end of Jesus' ministry. When he walks into the temple, And it is one time that we see Jesus' anger. And he clears the temple. In Matthew chapter 21, he says that this is my house that was to be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. And we could spend a whole series of sermons on what that means and what has happened in the life of churches today. But then Tuesday and Wednesday come. And on Tuesday and Wednesday, as Jesus comes into the city again, you can sense that the stir is beginning to happen in in the church people. The people of the Jewish faith. They begin to question Jesus. They begin to try to trick Jesus. Those religious leaders, those people that were supposed to be proclaiming God were worried about what Jesus was going to say and what Jesus was going to do. In reality, they should have been worried because Jesus' passion was already playing out. And as those men began to talk to Jesus, Jesus did what he often did so well. They would ask a question, and then he would share a parable. I love some of those parables that are told in those Tuesday and Wednesday days with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He told them various things, and I have to think those men must have been sitting there scratching their heads saying, what exactly is he saying? Now, if it was me, and I'm nowhere close to being Jesus, I would kind of walk out of the city that night and say, did you see how I got him today? I kind of wonder, maybe did Jesus do that a little bit? Because of all those little things that he dropped, just a little piece of nugget in front of them and began to tell them the truth about who he was. But for some strange reasons, the people didn't understand it. The religious leaders were so consumed by their status and who they were that they missed who Jesus was. 
Jesus told those parables. One of my favorite sections in Matthew in this day comes from Matthew chapter 22. Let me read to you a few of these words. After hearing Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees decided they were going to try their hand at Jesus. So they tested him and they questioned him. In verse 36, this is what we read. The Pharisees said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus goes on to say, All of the law and the prophets hang on these commands. I have to think that the Pharisees kind of sat there and were scratching their heads. Maybe they were thinking, well, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. We are to love God first above all things, and we're to love other people after that. But it goes on. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. He turned the table. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The Pharisees got all high and mighty. I can see them kind of sitting back going, finally, he's coming to us to get teaching. He's coming to us to hear the truth. The Pharisees said, it's the son of David. Then Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Then David calls him Lord. How can he be his son? The Pharisees had no word of reply, and they dared not ask Jesus another question. I have to wonder what Jesus was thinking as he had those interactions with the religious people of that day. I have a feeling that one of Jesus' greatest thoughts was, I wish you understood. Because as much as I come for everyone else, I also come for you. And all he wants is a relationship with them. Then we come to Thursday. Oh, I love Thursday. Monday, Thursday is what the church calendar calls it. It's the day where Jesus showed that he was a great rabbi. Because Jesus prepared the scripted Passover for his disciples. You've read the story of how he sent his disciples to prepare the room, to prepare the place that he was going to have the Passover meal. The disciples got everything that Jesus had asked, everything lined up just like Jesus has wanted. Jesus took them to that upper room, and Jesus went through the Jewish script line by line by line. He did all of the prayers. He did all of the different things. But then Jesus went off script. 
It's amazing. I was standing in the back during the music, and um, Ryan Steyer, who's running our slides, he looked at me and he goes, so are you going to stay on script today? I said, oh, I think maybe, maybe not. You know, I, I wonder, you know, Jesus, he went on script for so long, and then he kind of looked at his disciples and he said, now I'm going to really teach you. And you know what he did. He took that bread, and he looked at the bread. Go ahead and grab your communion cups, because this wasn't a part of that Passover meal. They had done all of the things about Passover. Jesus stayed on script, but in this moment, he looked at them, and he told them the truth of what was to come. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he took it, and he passed it to his disciples, saying, this is my body that is going to be broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the cup. He prayed the prayer of thanksgiving, and he passed it to his disciples, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many. As often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, do this in remembrance of me. I have to wonder, as those disciples sat in the upper room, they knew everything about the script. They had been through Passover after Passover after Passover throughout the course of their life, but they had to be shaking their heads and scratching their heads at that moment when Jesus went off script and he talked about his body and his shed blood. They had, taught, they had heard Jesus teach about being the greatest. They had heard Jesus teach about giving his life, but they'd never really understood what Jesus was going to do. If you back up, as Passover began, Jesus really went off script from the very beginning. You know the story. It's very famous. I love, I think this is my favorite part of the Passover story in Jesus' last day. It's as they went in to the upper room. In that day and age, everybody wore sandals. The, dirt, the roads were made of dirt, often muddy dirt. They often traveled with animals, and animals do things on the muddy dirt road. And so their feet were filthy. Much like many of us, when we enter into our homes, what is the first thing we do? We take off our shoes because we don't want to put the dirt that comes from the outside into our house, right? Well, that's what always happened in Jesus' day, too. But Jesus flipped the script. It was Jesus who chose to be the one to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus took off his outer garment and he began to wash their feet. That was the job of the lowliest person, the servant of the house. 
But Jesus chose to do it. Listen to these words from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Oh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, you do not realize what you are doing, but later you will understand. No, 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 said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, I love these words, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Notice what he does there. He lets them know that somebody in that room, that Jesus knows, Judas has already betrayed him. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished, he washed, finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I have, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You have set, I have set for you an example that you should do what I have done for you. Just as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross and make that walk, Jesus teaches the ultimate bit of servanthood. He washes their feet. One of my favorite professors in college was a man by the name of Mark Moore. He wrote about this moment in Jesus' ministry. This time between the upper room and when he goes to the cross as the crucible hour of Jesus' life. It was in these next few minutes that Jesus makes his final decision. Will he go to the cross or won't he go to the cross? Jesus has spent a lifetime always obeying his Father, But in this moment, Jesus wrestles with what that obedience with God was all about. Throughout this Easter season, as we have prepared for Easter Sunday, we have been talking about various prayers in Jesus' life. Larry asked me to talk about the passion of Jesus' prayers. 
You can't talk about this last week of Jesus' life without realizing that Jesus has walked through so much endured suffering as he is shouted as the king, as he is questioned, as he sees the church, God's people doing things that aren't what God has asked them to do, and as he comes to this moment and he faces his time with God and he comes to that crucible crossroads, am I going to continue to obey or am I going to do something different? It's in these moments that Jesus leaves the upper room and he begins to make that final journey. It's the journey that he's going to go to the cross, but as he is making his way into the city one last time, he approaches an olive grove. We know it as Gethsemane. It's a place where Jesus could stop, he could reflect, and he could pray. Tradition teaches us that it's just a little area off the beaten path where he can go back in and have some privacy. Maybe this is where Jesus has stayed each and every night. We don't know for sure. But Jesus takes his disciples to this place. And Jesus begins what I believe is one of the most passion-filled prayers of all Scripture. Listen to the words in Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here and go while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Normally, when we talk about these passage, this passage, we oftentimes talk about the disciples and how they can't keep watch and how even the inner three, Peter, James, and John, as Jesus has taken them separately away, they can't stay awake and do what Jesus has asked. Sometimes we even talk about the stress 
that Jesus is under. And we look in Luke chapter 22 where it says that his sweat is like drops of blood. And we know that the weight of separation from God is paralyzing him at this moment. Because Jesus begins to realize what his passion is all about. It's not just death on a cross. But when Jesus clothed himself in your sin and my sin, he became separate from his Father. He had never felt that separation. He had never known what separation from God was all about. And in this moment, Jesus was feeling the weight of all humanity's sin fall upon himself. Now, obviously, from what we read in that passage, Jesus had gone further in to the olive grove and had prayed. The Bible tells us at least at one point it was for about an hour. We don't know the whole script of his prayer, but we do know the strength of his prayer. Jesus asked for two things in this passion-filled prayer. The first was this. God, is there another way? I wonder, how many of us have prayed a prayer like that? I bet if I were to ask for a set of hands, every hand should go up in this room because every one of us have prayed a prayer like that. God, help me with this. God, this is how I think you need to answer this prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants to hear what we want. He wants to hear what we need. He even wants to hear the simple prayers. I've shared this story before. Many years ago, when Jacob, our oldest son, was two years old, he was running across our living room and he tripped on a balloon and he broke his leg. And I remember Josh, our youngest son, was just a newborn baby then. And we had to take Jacob to the hospital. He was going to have to have surgery on that leg. And I remember as they were wheeling him down the hallway to go into surgery, my little two-year-old boy prayed the most passion-filled prayer I had ever heard when he said, please, God, please. We pray those prayers, don't we? And in many ways, at that moment, I think that's what Jesus was praying. The incarnate Son of God, God in the flesh, in that very moment was saying, God, if there's another way, please help that to be the case. Last Friday, I was having lunch with a friend of mine. We were talking about various different things. This wasn't why we were having lunch, but as we were sitting there together, we were talking about a struggle that she was having. And I said, I've, I've always prayed prayers throughout the course of my life, asking God for those big highway road signs along the side of the road. God, just put it up there in bright lights and tell me this is what you want me to do. And every time I've prayed for that, do you know what's happened? Anybody? Nothing. The highway roadside's not there. Uh, I shouldn't say never. Sometimes he gives us those signs. 
but oftentimes not. Jesus, in that moment, as he prayed, he asked God, God, if there's another way, let it happen. But he's prayed a second prayer. Fred Craddock, a great preaching professor, always said that the three-letter words in the Bible are the most important. Things like and, or for, or but. If you notice in this passage, Jesus uses the B word, the but word. God, if there's another way, let it happen, but not my will, but your will be done. I believe that it was at that moment that the full weight of humanity fell on the shoulders of Jesus because he chose to follow God. In many ways, God gave him the interstate sign. Sometimes we are waiting for that interstate sign, but sometimes we don't realize that God is answering our prayer. It may be with a no. It may be with a wait. It may just simply be with nothing because he wants us to understand he's got it. My challenge to you is that you always pray that prayer, not my will, but your will, God. You see, if it hadn't have been that Jesus had rewritten the script, all of the hope would have been null and void. If Jesus had simply said, I'm a great rabbi, so keep going to the temple and offering your sacrifices year after year. Go through the motions. That's all you have to do. We wouldn't have the hope that we have today. Jesus chose in that simple prayer, not my will, but your will be done, to become the passion, the enduring suffering for each and every one of us. Christ endured the suffering of separating himself with God so that we wouldn't have to. Christ endured the suffering of death so that we wouldn't have to. Christ endured the suffering of becoming the offering for each and every one of us. Christ became our offering of sin and death so that we would have life eternal. I want to put a challenge to you this week. As we go through this Passion Week, it's easy to get just overwhelmed. My wife and I were talking last night. Um, our son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter are coming next week for Easter. She was talking about all that she has to do this week, and she was trying to figure out, how am I going to have time to cook? You know, and then we lose power on top of all of that. We finally get power back. We go to the grocery last night and come home. Guess what? The power's off again. You know, thing after thing after thing overwhelms us. What I want to challenge you for with this week is to just pause. And I want to challenge you to pray a passion-filled prayer. God, help me to see your will. 
God, help me to see what you want me to do. I believe if the church could start to pray that way, we could see transformation in our lives and in the lives around us. God wants to use you because God loves you. I know that maybe some people say this is a little overkill, but I truly believe that when Jesus was in that olive grove and he was praying those prayers, he had the thought of each and every one of us on his mind. We can't begin to comprehend that because we are fully human. But he was fully God. And in that moment, he took the needs of you and placed them on his shoulders and went to the cross so that you might have life eternal. As we pray, will the praise team come forward? God, I thank you that you loved us enough to go to the cross. But I thank you, Father, that Jesus, in all of his infinite wisdom and in his perfection, as he went into that olive grove and he wrestled, that he ultimately prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you that our passion was seen through his passion. That he had a passion for us. May we be a people that share that blessing and that love to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.